Good morning. I feel a little bit like Mr. Rogers. This is fun. I got the wrong kind of sweater. I need a cardigan. But, uh, <laughs> well, uh, we are continuing this series called Home for Christmas. And uh, I don't know about you, but for me, Christmas this season invokes so many thoughts and memories of my childhood home. Partially, I think, because my parents still live there. They've been there for 31 years, and uh, I'm still there, too. So we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> I'll tell you a whole bunch of stories there. But, you know, my, I have so many good memories growing up in that house of uh, just all of the Christmas traditions. You know, making cookies for Santa and milk, putting them on the fireplace, all the decorations, setting up the trees. My mom continues to tell me that I never helped decorate the trees, but I, I helped. I, I am confident that I actually contributed something as a kid. <laughs> um, but you know, whether it's watching movies like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Frosty the Snowman, I got so many fond memories. Um, but I do know that for many of you, you may not have those kinds of fond memories. Christmas season can be hard for some of us. And when we get to this series, this, the whole idea of this series is to hone in on what home actually is. What is home? It's not a house, it's not a place. Home is something different. And so I want to ask you a pointed question this morning, and it may seem kind of basic, it may seem pretty trivial, but I want you to think about it and give some time to it. And the question is this, what is your home like? What is your home like? Again, not your house, not talk, don't think about how big your house is or how small it is or, or your 70-inch TV or your pool in your backyard. Um, but what is your home like? What, what is the dynamic of your household? What's, what is the culture? What, is, uh, what are the values that permeate your home life? And I want, to, want you to sit with that a little bit. Could it, for some of you, you may think of home as being a really warm place. Is it warm? Or maybe it's a cold place. Is it loud or is it quiet? Is it filled with tension or is it a place of peace? Think about your home and just sit, sit with that for a little bit. And now that you have that in mind, I want to ask you a second question. What is God's home like? Because I don't know if you realize this, but... God has a home, and the Bible tells us all about it, often. Often the Bible talks about God's home and his household. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture to, to guide our thoughts initially here. The Bible mentions God's household several times. In Ephesians 1, verse 5, the NLT translation says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. That's a, that's a key aspect of any home, right, is a family. And we're told that, that God adopted us and brought us into his family, and that it was his great pleasure to do so. Ephesians 2.19 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. When we believe in Jesus and follow him, we're told that literally, literally, we are a part of God's family and his household. 
We're not invited in as guests to stay for a little bit. We're not invited just to come and visit God. We are invited in permanently into God's household forever as his very children for all of eternity. So what is this like? What is God's home like? There's a lot of things we could go into, but I want to focus a little bit on what the book of Hebrews has to tell us about God's household. Hebrews 2, verse 11 says, So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy, that's us, have the same father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. So think about that for a second. In in the dynamic of God's household, in God's family, we have the same father that Jesus has. The same father. It's not like Jesus, Jesus does have a special relationship with his father, but, but we are invited to have that same relationship with our father in heaven. And so much so that Jesus looks at us and says, you are my brothers and sisters. You're not just my servants. You're not just my followers. You are my brothers and sisters. We can call Jesus our brother. We're invited into this new family dynamic. Hebrews 3, 6 says, but Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house and we are God's house. So there's another dynamic there is that there is a clear authority. Yes, we get to look at Jesus and call him our brother, but he is also in charge of God's house. All authority has been given to Jesus. And for some of us, again, if we think and compare about our home life with with God's home life, for some of us, we've got a really rough relationship with authority, right? But authority is still a very key piece of God's family, of his household, of his home, but it's perfect. Jesus is the one who has all authority, and we, people, are God's house. It's not a place. It's his people. And then I want to read a passage from Hebrews chapter 10. It's a long one, and I've got some, uh, some words and phrases highlighted or, or underlined, and I, I want to just draw your attention to those because this passage gives us a glimpse into some of the dynamics in the culture of God's house. So starting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, so there's the familiar language again, right? Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full, insur- full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching." There's a lot there. This is seven verses. I want to put this in a list form, okay, to help us see some of the dynamics that this verse gives us hints of, of God's home, of his family. So we see confidence. Confidence. No fear, no hesitancy, but confidence. That we get to be, a conf- we get to be confident when we stand in God's presence and in his family, that that's where we belong. There's a nearness to God. How many of you have ever felt like God's far away? A lot of, okay. I need some participation here because all of you just lied for the most part. (laughs) 
How many of you have felt like God is far away at times? Everybody, right? Okay, so when you live into God's family, God draws nearer. And there will come a day when Jesus comes back where we'll be very, very near to God. We can come with sincere hearts, sincerity and authenticity. We come with full assurance without a single level of doubt that we can be fully sure of all of the things that God has promised us and told us. There's no guilt in God's household, none. You don't get to carry guilt or shame anymore. That is dealt with. Purity, hope, trustworthiness or faithfulness. I love that passage because it says, he who promised is faithful. I don't know about you, um, but, and this wasn't my experience necessarily, but I know people who've had a lot of issues with their parents who promise things over and over and over again and they never follow through. That's not how our God is. He makes a promise and he's faithful to keep it, always. People are in your corner. We use this passage a lot to, to um, encourage people just to keep, stay together in the church, right? Spur one another on is the language. What that means is that you are given a family with brothers and sisters. You're given a family with Jesus as your brother. The Holy Spirit lives in you and God is your father. You're given a family where people are in your corner willing to push you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, and help move you into where you need to, the direction you need to be going. It's characterized by love, by goodness, like actual just goodness. Fellowship, friendship, encouragement. That's all from seven verses. Can you imagine how much more is in this book about our house, our home with God? I want to give you another list just because there's plenty of other things that I was thinking of as I was, as I was writing this out. But other things that I've seen the Bible talk about from God's house and his home standpoint is it's characterized by forgiveness. It's characterized by service, generosity, sharing burdens, prayer, belonging, affection, glory. Have you ever thought about the glory? What actually is glory? We talk a lot about glorifying God. You realize the Bible talks endlessly about us being able to share in that glory. God's glory is not just for him. We get to be a part of that. Joy is huge. Pure, unadulterated joy. Freedom from anything that may try to control you or hold power over you. And power. That God's family, his household is characterized by power over sin and darkness. And beyond that, something else that you see throughout is that God's house has no shortage of food. Amen. It's all over the place. I don't know. I've been to a few people's houses, too, like where, where I'm invited in. And you, ever, you may have experienced this. You go to someone's house, and there's just never quite enough food. So if you want to eat, you got to be the first to the punch, right? <laughs> That's not God's house. God's home is abundant with food. I just love that part. You know, when I... Uh, when Jesus was resurrected from the dead and was appearing to his followers, one of my favorite encounters is, is they're out fishing and Jesus shows up on the beach and he calls them and he's like, hey, everybody, come back in. I got breakfast made. That's my God. <laughs> That's biblical. <laughs> anyway, think about those lists. Those are some long lists. Can you imagine one home that perfectly exhibits all of those characteristics? That can be hard to imagine because the, the, a home like that does not exist on this planet. No one has ever experienced that from a human standpoint here on this earth. But that's what God's home is like. It, ex, 
it expresses all of those to absolute perfection. And again, I know for some of you, you may not have the best home life. Or maybe you, you had a really rough one growing up. Some of you may have issues at home uh, that you're still working through, and, or maybe you don't know how to deal with it. For some of you, there may be a consistent pattern of bitterness or unforgiveness between you and some family members. There may be tension or division. There may be unresolved anger, dysfunction, pot potentially even abuse. And I want to recognize that because, again, Christmas, it, it invokes a lot of fond memories for a lot of us, but, but that is not everyone's experience. So when we talk about home, and God's home specifically, it is not dependent on a place. It is not dependent on your actual family members or your actual friends. It's completely and wholly dependent on Jesus and his influence in your life. Now this series is hitting me home very personally because this year, me and my family are not gonna be in our home for Christmas. Uh, some of you know what's been going on with our, with our home. Um, I'm gonna show some pictures here in a second, but basically to say is, is we bought a house recently and um, some things were covered up and we've gotten into a bunch of remodels that we were not ready for. And so we're not gonna be home for Christmas. Um, so I'll show you some pictures. This is fun. You see that? Maybe? No? Come on, technology. Is that not showing up? Well, I can just try to describe it too. <laughs> so anyway, there's a point where right above our refrigerator in our kitchen uh, was our upstairs bathrooms, and the drywall had been replaced there. Our inspector saw it and said, okay, there's probably a water leak. They probably fixed it and handled it correctly. Well, of course, we move in and live there for a couple months, and, and sure enough, we were doing something completely different, got into the walls, found mold and water damage that had basically destroyed the subfloor underneath those bathrooms above our kitchen completely destroyed it, to the point where there were holes completely rotted through. Completely rotted. Still no pictures? Okay. Um, I'm going to try that one more time. Maybe. I really want you guys to see this, if we can. Oh, well. Um, oh, it's back. Hey, there we go. Okay. Technology. Uh, so anyway, that is, the, that is the drain of the bathroom that was above our refrigerator. You can see how bad it is. Uh, that is one of the spots where the subfloor was completely rotted through, and you can even see the sliver of daylight going up into the bathroom upstairs. Couldn't see that from above. Um, that is our kitchen because inevitably, once we found the water damage, we had to expose it and figure out how far reaching is this damage. So the whole ceiling was gone. Um, these are all old. We've made some progress since then. But you can see that the whole subfloor had signs of, of, of water damage. Um, this is our master bedroom, and this is kind of what all of our walls started to look like. This is the one thing that we kind of prepared for was electrical work, but holes in our drywall everywhere throughout the entire house. This is uh, the bathroom upstairs when it was gutted. Um, the problem area, that's our bathroom, the master bathroom, just completely gutted because we had to get to that subfloor to fix it, to remodel it. And then because of the drywall was damaged so extensively, uh, we were talked into texturing the whole house, which is awesome. It's really good. We just weren't prepared for it. So this is what our house looked like a couple days ago. Um, you can see 
we masked up everything in the whole house. Uh, windows, doors, floors, everything so that we could spray a new texture. None of the, we just did not prepare for this. There was a lot going on. So we're not gonna be in our house for Christmas. And uh, it's gonna be okay. Because again, our home is not dependent on a place. But again, for what, what this means for me personally is that, is that we were hoping for this stuff to be done a few weeks ago, which is okay. Um, but for the month of December, you know, we haven't been able to live into our normal Christmas traditions with our boys, especially. We haven't been able to decorate our house. Um, we we're so unbelievably thankful that my, my parents had a, a home. They weren't living in it at the time, so we, we moved back there for a couple months and took advantage of that. But we weren't going to decorate their home for them. So... We missed out on the decorations. My boys even got to make ornaments at daycare. They brought them home, and we had no tree to hang them up, hang them up on. And um, it just hasn't felt like Christmas. It just hasn't. And again, this is where God is teaching me very directly. You know, we've been planning this series for a while now, but he's teaching me very directly through these set of circumstances, what, what is home. And last week, Brian talked about where our home is, and it's about where you make it, because Jesus is ultimately our home. He's our home. The Holy Spirit lives in us, so wherever we are, we can make our home. It's about our actions. It's about the, the culture that we bring into the world. We can build our home wherever we are because Christ is with us. And so I didn't show these pictures to throw a pity party for myself or anything like that. I just want to you know, share a little bit of what we're going through, but also it's funny how God works because in preparation for this morning, you know, it just... It, it, it has become the best analogy for this message and for almost for this series, right? The series is called Home for Christmas. We're not gonna be home for Christmas. So I, we'll get into that in a little bit of, of some of the, the analogies that I've drawn from this, but I wanna give you the, biggest, the big idea for the morning that I want you to take away. As adopted sons and daughters, that's all of us, if you believe in Jesus, you're an adopted son or daughter of Christ, we are called to live in God's household. That's our calling, we're called to live in God's household. Like I said, if you believe in Christ, you are a son or a daughter of God. Your status has fundamentally changed forever. It's done. You are linked inextricably to God's family and your new life is hidden with Christ. Your inheritance is guaranteed you are royalty. The Bible tells us, um, I think it's Second Peter, that you are a royal priesthood. We're royalty in God's family. But now, the onus is to live into it. Because, because it's true, now you get to live as if it's true. You see how that dynamic works? Think about real adoption, for example. Adoption that language is, is very, very biblical. It's all throughout. It's God's heart for us that we are adopted as his sons and daughters. Adoption is hard. If you've gone through it or if you've known people who have gone through it, adoption is real hard. It's beautiful. It's amazing. But it's hard because you get, you get a child that may have experienced trauma or they carry some baggage from, from how they were treated as, at a young age. And they bring that with them into a new family that is not their own by blood. And there is a major, major transition period where that child has to learn to an extent, what, what does it mean to live a part of this family now? This is a different culture. This is not what I'm used to. 
And especially for a child that's just, that's maybe young enough that doesn't really get to think terribly logically about all this stuff, it's just hard. And it can take years and years and years and years of adjustment. I think that's a lot like our faith walk. Because what happens is we're adopted into this new family. We still carry our culture. We still carry our hurt, our pains, our baggage, our past, our family lives. We carry that with us, and it may not match. Probably doesn't match. (laughs) But now we're invited into this adjustment period where we get to live and learn what does it look like to live as a son or daughter of God. But for me, I think that that might beg the question of what happens if you don't? Because right? if you're saved simply by putting your faith in Jesus, right? We, we preach that often. It's, it's only by God's grace. It has nothing to do with what you bring to the table. It is only by God's grace that you're saved and you receive it by faith. If that's it, why? what happens if you don't go through all of the, the hard work of living into God's family? Well, the damage is gonna continue underneath the surface. I think there are too many Christians that are content. When things get hard in the faith, they're content to start holding God off at arm's length and say, you know what, God, that's great. I want the benefits of the faith, but I still wanna do things my way. I still wanna hold on to this. And I may, I may, be, I may be your son or your daughter, but I still wanna kinda live over here a little bit. <laughs> when you do that, the damage will continue. Again, with my house as an example, most, most of these issues happened because someone didn't deal with a water leak. They didn't deal with it correctly, and they covered it up. That damage could have been far less if it was dealt with properly when it was first discovered. The same goes for us. If you do not deal with your past sins, if you do not deal with even just the, your hurts, the things that have been done to you, if you don't deal with that, if you cover it up and try to put on a face and just feel like everything's good, that damage is going to continue to get worse underneath the surface until someone falls through the floor. That's the funny thing, is our, as our contractor told us, like, you know, if we didn't find it at this point, like, you might have discovered it by falling through the floor. <laughs> it could have been that bad. So exposing the sins, the secrets, the things that we want to hide is necessary and good. Exposing is so necessary. We had to rip off all the drywall and the ceiling to see how far does this damage really go? What are we actually dealing with here? How do we actually fix all this? We have to be aware and expose the issues that are there. That is necessary and good. And let me tell you this, being able to expose those things, simply being able to is a grace of God. And that's part of the confidence piece. When we get to approach God with confidence, it's not because we're perfect. It's because Jesus is perfect. So because Jesus is perfect and we put our faith in him, we have the confidence to come before God and say, okay, God, here is all of my stuff. Here's all of my sin. Here's all of my secrets. Here's all of my hurt. Here's all of my shame. Here's all of it. And it's okay. And it's good to bring it out into the open. That cannot happen if you cover it up. If you minimize sin or refuse to confess it, grace cannot take its work in your life. If you minimize sin, you minimize grace. 
you cover up sin, you're not allowing yourself to receive grace. One of my favorite passages comes out of Ephesians 5, 11 through 13, because it's got some pretty cool theological implications. But Paul writes this, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Think about it this way. The miracle of, one of the miracles of God and how he works is he doesn't take evil and sin and say, well, I can, I can work that in such a way to give a silver lining. <laughs> There's no like, he doesn't work it just to give us a consolation prize. God's miracle is that he takes evil and, and sin and miraculous, miraculously transforms and molds it into good. I don't know about you, but I've heard so many stories of people who have battled debilitating illnesses or even cancer or you know, whatever it is that, that God uses that so powerfully in their life to teach them to draw them closer to him, uses it to bring out goodness in their life that they look back and say, I wouldn't change that for the world. God used my cancer to teach me something so unbelievably core about who he is and who I am. It's how God works, but that happens when we expose it. When you bring something into the light, it can become a light itself. How many people you know who have struggled with addictions or ongoing sin, and when they bring it out into the open and ask for help and they start dealing with it, it becomes a source of light for others to say, oh my gosh, they, they found freedom from that, so can I. And they've blazed a trail that I can follow. When you expose those things, God will use that to bring about life in your life and for others. But none of that feels good, right? That's hard. That's really hard. And I, it's funny that we have to say this so often. I have to tell myself this so often. But just because something's hard does not mean it's bad. And just because something's easy doesn't mean it's good. Typically, it's the opposite. The good things in life are hard and they're worth fighting for. The easy things in life are a cop-out and it's a counterfeit piece. This is hard work. But again, when it comes to this house, we weren't ready for any of that. But we got into it, we exposed it, we started taking the steps. God has been involved in the process left and right. It's blown us away. But you see the amount of work that it takes to make something right as it should be. Make, make a house safe again. Make a house complete and whole. It's a lot of work. And for some of you, probably all of us, let's be real, for all of us, there are things in our life that need a lot, a lot of work. Not so that you can earn salvation, but that so you can fully experience it. But it starts with exposing. Expose that bitterness behind the smile. Expose the lies behind the facade of peace. Expose the unforgiveness behind that so-called righteous anger. Expose the selfishness behind whatever felt obligation you may have. Expose the manip manipulation behind false humility. Expose the sin in your life. Expose the things that hold power over you. And expose the hidden sources of your shame. 
When you expose those things, God gives grace. I mean, he's giving it to you anyway. It's, it's, that's what you have to do to receive it, really. And God often uses the people around you to give you his grace. God forgives you, but do you know how freeing it is to be able to voice something to a brother or sister in Christ and to hear them say, you're not alone. God forgives you. To hear an audible voice tell you that is so beautiful. We need to experience that grace. And the longer you wait, the worse the damage is gonna get. And the harder it will be to deal with it later. Some of you may be thinking, about something very particular in your life. And you may be thinking, oh man, I really wish I, de- I dealt with that 10 years ago. That would've been so much easier if I dealt with it then. I can't do it now. It's too bad now. I've hidden it for too long. It'd be way too big of a deal. I, I just have to live with it. If you're thinking along those lines, one, please hear that you're not alone. I've been there. I know many other people in this room have been there. But please hear, you cannot live with it. Jesus is going to deal with it one way or another. But you can't just live with it. The damage will get worse and you will hurt yourself and people around you until someone falls through the floor. There's also wisdom in that. Uh, Please hear me. If if you have something that you need to expose that's really deeply going to hurt someone else, don't go home today and just dump it right now, please. Um, If you need... There's wisdom in how you go about exposing things as well, especially if it involves other people. So if you want help with that, please... Please reach out to me or to Brian or someone else um, for guidance in that because um, that, that should be handled delicately. But exposure is so unbelievably important. I want to give you two sides to this. So, so that's a lot of the negative side. The negative side is, okay, what problems are here that we need to deal with? Now, the positive side of living into God's house, hold, his home, is more building up what's not there. So exposing things and dealing with the problems in your life or the issues is deeply important, but there's also an aspect of maybe there's just something that's not even existent in your life that needs to be built up. That's the, that's the positive side. And what, the way I think about that is, is that God's household has a culture. Every, every home has a culture, right? God's home has a culture. It's the, it's, it's the culture of the kingdom. And what does it look like to build God's culture into our lives? That's building up from scratch. That's building in what may not be there. And that involves a lot of change. So for example, I've got a list here. This is not exhaustive, but these are, again, things that I've seen continually in Scripture that, that we don't do naturally. We don't do well necessarily, but these are aspects that, that express the culture of God's kingdom. We're told that as children, we're supposed to pray continually all the time. I don't know about you, but there's been so many times in my life where I, I brush that off. I'm like, ah, oh, it's not possible. I can't pray all the time. And I just move on. But we're supposed to pray continually, be in constant union with Jesus. We're supposed to rejoice always, even when things are hard, even when our circumstances around us suck. We're called to rejoice. Give thanks in all circumstances. We're called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This, this is a very hard thing to change, is our minds. Very hard. But as children of God, we're called to think differently, to view the world differently than how we've been trained or raised to see it. We're called to love people, period. 
especially our brothers and sisters, but we're called to love everyone, including your enemies, including the people that you despise most. If they are a human being on this planet, you are called to love them. That's pretty radical. That's a difference in culture. We're called to think of others first, think of others as greater than ourselves. Seek to serve rather than to be served. Forgive others always. You realize forgiveness is a command. It's not an option. Forgiveness is a deep core value of God's kingdom, of his home. We're called to submit to each other, to encourage each other, to confess our sins to one another, to rejoice in everything, to expect hardship, suffering, and persecution for, for those of us raised in the West or in America, like that's, that's, that in of itself is a really big cultural difference, right? We're conditioned to take the easy way, the way that doesn't hurt as much. And the Bible consistently tells us, hey, if you're gonna follow Jesus, expect things to get hard, expect things to hurt, and rejoice when, when it happens. We're told that we need to love Jesus more than our closest family or friends, that Jesus needs to be our first love above everything. We're called to live in harmony with everyone to the best of our ability. In a day and age where we've got computers and social media, that's, uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty hard. <laughs> How do you live in harmony with everyone to the best of your ability? You, this is just a, scratching the surface, right? Because God's kingdom, his, his culture that he's established in his home is radically different from what we experience as human beings. It's a different culture. But as his sons and daughters were called to live into that more and more and more, the more that you read your Bible and put it into action and pray and interact with your God, with your Father, the more that you do that, the more you will see how you can start to live as a son or daughter in God's household. You develop a new culture around you. And again, what that means is, is you get to make your home wherever you're at. Can you think, if you, if you put all of these things into practice in your life, how attractive is your culture, your atmosphere around you going to be to others? Can you, can you adequately say, if someone spends time with me, they're gonna spend time with Jesus? Can you say that? Because that's how it should be. If Jesus is our home and the Holy Spirit lives in us, if people spend time with us, they should be spending time with Jesus, with these values, with, with this culture. They should see something's different about that person, something's different about the way they live, something's different with how they treat their family, their friends, their coworkers, their neighbors, something's different. And it's good. It's peace-filled. Ephesians 4.1, um, Paul says, therefore I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. And again, I wanna give that reminder because we don't live this way. We don't pursue th these things so that we can earn anything from God. We don't pursue these things to earn our salvation. We pursue them because it's true. He says, live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. 
You are children of God. You are royal priesthood. You are these things. You have been saved. You have been washed clean. You have, all, all of that's been dealt with. So the onus is now, how do we live and be a part of that home? How do we walk in the front door of God's home and live there instead of standing out on the curb looking in and saying, yeah, that looks really nice. I know I'm allowed, but you know, that looks really hard. I'm not ready for that. This is hard work and know that even though none of this comes naturally to us, you have the Holy Spirit living in you who's going to guide you, who's going to speak to you, who's going to, to give you the power and the endurance to put these things into practice. All it takes is for you to willingly submit to Jesus and say, okay, Lord, have your way. I give up. I give up holding on to my control. I give up trying to cover up everything so that I can look a certain way or, or present myself a certain way to other people. I give up. I give you everything. You have your way. When you take that step in surrender, Jesus will lead you into this culture, into this lifestyle. So this Christmas season, I just want to encourage you to, to realize that the traditions are great. The, uh, so much about the Christmas season that's just so fun. But that's not what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the day that Jesus Christ, God himself, left his home in heaven and built his home amongst us, his people, his children. He built his home here so that we can have our home in him forever. So we celebrate that and then we get to be a part of him making his home here on earth. We get to be a part of God inviting more of his sons and daughters home. So we look forward to Christmas Eve. When you invite someone to Christmas Eve, you're inviting and reaching out to other brothers and sisters that may not have come home yet, that God is deeply wanting to bring home, to, to show them that they are welcome, that they are fully a part of his family. So wherever you're at, I wanna encourage you, take some steps Talk to someone. Uh, celebrate what the season's really about. It's about Jesus, pressing into him. But know that your home is fully and truly in him and him alone. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you for this season that every year we get to be in this rhythm of remembering you, remembering your birth as a human being that that you didn't come initially as, as a full-grown adult on a chariot of fire coming through the clouds. You came as a baby. You were born into a set of circumstances that were hard, that were messy, that were difficult so that we could relate with you. We thank you for building your home in our midst. And we thank you that no matter what our circumstances look like, no matter what our family life looks like, no matter what, that you are truly and ultimately our home and that we can find our rest in you. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing.